Father, we come ready to look into these ancient words and to realize that since antiquity, these words have been changing lives. That God, as you inspired these words, as you moved through the hearts of men to write these words, and as you preserved them for us, you looked forward, knowing at this moment in time we'd be gathered, whether in this room or online, to look at these words this morning. And you knew, Lord God, that your spirit would be here with us. And that these words do have the power to change our lives. And part of that onus belongs to us as we take these words and bring them into our lives. So Lord God, as we open your word today, I pray that you would speak powerfully. I pray that you'd clear our minds from the clutter and the distractions that would cause us to miss the truth that you have to speak into us. And I pray, Father, that the words would not stop when we say the last amen, but rather the word would come alive as we live out the truth of the word, as we leave this place to make you known. So God, we pray that you would speak. Your children are listening. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated even as we release the kids through grade four off to the class that's ready for them. If you've been part of Calvary for a while or you've been watching online for a while, you're probably seeing that things look a little different um, behind us here. And this is part of the process that we've been working on so that we can have better audio here in the room, but also have a better presence online. And uh, as well as you may have noticed, the screens aren't necessarily what, this one won't come down. We've prayed over it and uh, just refuses to do what we tell it to. I'm sure there's an illustration in there somewhere. But um, so as we look at that, the the setting here will have a screen on either side, and no, it's not quite done. There's still some finished painting and things that need to happen, but it's all part of the process of um, helping us to be able to reach as many people as possible with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. So we're continuing in our series, and uh, that series is The Journey to completion. And we started talking about this last week as we look at this amazing letter of James together and and what a powerful letter it is. I remember when my mom passed and I was going through her copy of God's Word to see how I could share at their service for her memorial. This was the letter that had the most markings in it. It was a significant letter to her, and so, and I'm sure she's not alone. I'm sure it's been a significant letter to many of us and many of you. And so as we look at this, we're looking at this journey to completion. And um, that so we set this up last week as we began to look at this letter that, that James comes and says that, that um, we should take the trials and help them to build steadfastness because God is working to bring us to completion. And so there's this amazing journey that we're on to completion. Now, 
What we realize and recognize is that sin in our life separates us from God, but it also causes all sorts of problems inside of us as well. And so there's a completion that needs to come as, as God puts us back together, and that journey to completion happens in this world, but it actually doesn't get completed completed until we receive our glorified body. And at that point in time, the image of God in us is restored to the original beauty that God had designed. Amen? And as we look forward to that moment when, when that image of God in us is a, um, restored to that original beauty and that original glory... Now, part of this can be understood as we think of uh, nursery rhyme. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. All right, and so as we think about that, and uh, of course there's all sorts of theories as to what Humpty Dumpty is, we'll just leave those over here. But as we look and consider, there's this truth that there was a fall, and it's the same for us. There was a fall in Adam and Eve. Mankind choose, chose to sin, and that sin through Adam has been imputed or credited to us, and so we're sinners by nature, but we're also sinners by choice. We've come to a place where each one of us have chosen to do things that are uh, displeasing to God, that are against his best for our lives, and so because of that, we have been irreparably broken. We can't be put back together again. Yet, once they come to a place where you realize that and understand that, and you ask God to forgive you through Jesus, and, and you, you exchange your life of sin for his life of righteousness, you repent from doing what you've done in the past, and you realize and recognize that you need and, and need to embrace the forgiveness of God, and you ask him to forgive you, and you step into this new life with him, you begin this journey to completion. Now, the encouraging thing about this journey to completion is to realize that it's not hard. It's not hard to have this journey to completion, to be at a place where at one moment in time you're completely broken and then all of a sudden you're brought back to total completeness. That's not a hard journey at all. It's an impossible journey. Amen? Can I get a witness? All right. You cannot do this. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, but God. Hi, John and Helen. It's good to see you. Visiting from Honduras. Okay, sorry, squirrel. All right. <clears throat> but God. See, God steps into our lives, and God brings us to completion. And we participate with him. We partner with him in that. And so James, as he talks about this journey to completion, it's this moving, and you remember last week we talked about it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of choosing life or choosing death. And when we choose to obey the things that God has given us to do, we choose life. And when we choose to do the things that we long to do, we choose death. And so it's this matter of life and death to be on this journey to completion. So, this week, as we look, we're looking at the truth that the journey to completion rejects self-deception. It rejects self-deception. 
Now it's interesting, as, as Tom brought us into the account of Elijah, and Elijah heading off and being frightened uh, and, and, and running, and, and God coming and speaking to him. In that, Elijah had uh, a rehearsed answer, and it was a, an answer that had come from self-deception. He said, I'm the only one who's left. There's no other prophets, and, and eventually God says there's 7,000 others. Okay, but in, in Elijah's mind, through that self-deception he was experiencing, he had thought he was the only one. Now, when I go to get a haircut, maybe this happens for you guys too, when you get a haircut, they pick up the mirror to show you the back of your head, right? Because it's really important, especially for me. I sit here and everybody at home sees the back of my head. So it's really important that it looks good. And so they pick up the mirror and they say, would you like to see the back of your head? And I always say, no. No, I have myself convinced there's hair back there. I don't want to see back there, right? And, and I have myself deceived that there's actually these long flowing, you know, yeah, no, they're not there. Now that's simple. <clears throat> but the truth is, isn't it? We deceive ourselves. And could I suggest, as I've thought about that this week, could I suggest to you that really self-deception is the root of every sin? When, when you think about it, Adam and Eve saw the fruit. They saw it, it looked good to eat, and, and they saw that it was desirable. And so as they... As they saw it, they deceived themselves into believing that it was good. They deceived themselves into believing that God should not have told them they couldn't have it. That in actuality, God was being harsh by, by keeping them from having that fruit. And so they deceived themselves into believing that somehow God had made a mistake by prohibiting that. And so they took the fruit and they ate it. And I wonder if it isn't the same for us as we think about the things that, that we know God is leading us to, the things that would be pleasing to him, and yet so many times those things look so desirable. And we can convince ourselves that if, if God had known my situation, he probably would have allowed it, so why don't I just go ahead and see there's this self-deception that goes on. So James says, listen, if you're going to be on this journey to completion, you need to reject self-deception. And, and as you read the full letter of James, I would encourage you to see how many times he talks about not being deceived. And how many times he talks about there's really this deception that goes on that causes you to believe you can do this when this is actually what the word of God is saying. And so the journey to completion requires that we, we stop, we stop self-deception in our lives. And the first thing we see is that a person who's on this journey, a journeyer, seeks behavior that is pleasing to God. Seeks behavior that's pleasing to God. And we see that in the first few verses here. We're in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Know this. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. As I said last week, James seems to be very influenced by the Sermon of the Mount and teachings of Jesus and the Proverbs, maybe even the Psalms. And so it seems to be a pretty big influence in his life as he writes his letter and as he encourages people. And so lots of his sayings can seem proverbial. And and they're they're one-liners that we've all come to know and to remember. And this is one of those lines that probably you've heard be quick to hear and slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak. And so it's something that we've heard often, which is why all of us are so good at doing it. (laughs) So really what, what James is helping us to understand is that what you have to say is not as important as what you need to hear. What you have to say is not as important as what you need to hear. See, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Now this gets really hard, and we've all heard the analogies, you have two ears and one mouth and these kinds of things. But as as James is talking about this and as he's bringing this to them, he's saying we need to be ready to hear. And this becomes so important because most times, if we're honest and... I'll be honest for myself and let you all be honest for you all's self. Most of the time, when I'm listening to someone, I'm already thinking of what I have to say. And I kind of tune out on what they're saying. But another thing that happens to me is that I, I listen to people through a filter that I have. I already have presuppositions, and those in many ways are self-deception, And I have these presuppositions that I listen through. And those can also keep me from hearing. And and in actuality, when I have those presuppositions, there's a conversation going on in my mind already. I'm speaking even before I open my mouth, and I'm not listening, and I'm not hearing what the person's saying. And, And the thing that's so hard about that is then you don't hear the person's heart. You don't hear what that that person is genuinely saying. I remember when Karen and I were were involved in a counseling situation. We We went to see a counselor for a season of time. And that's important. And so one of the exercises that the counselor had us do was to sit in two chairs opposite each other and look at each other right in the eye. Do you all do that? Do you, do you all do that? Do you make that a regular part of what you do? Whether it's with your siblings or your, your spouse or your friends, do you, do you sit and look at each other in the eye as you have a conversation? So anyway, we started talking, and maybe you've heard of active listening, you know, where you say, well, what I heard you say was this. Well, we were involved in a conversation, and... Things were a little tense between us at the time. Is that fair to say? And so we're having a conversation, and Karen looked into my eyes and said something. And the counselor said, what did you hear her say? And so I said right back to Karen exactly what she had said. 
exactly what I had heard her say. And the counselor said, that's not what she said at all. To which I said to the counselor, did you fall asleep for a moment? No, I didn't. You see, what happened is we were at a point of tension and I had a filter that I was listening through. And that filter was my self-deception. I had needs that Karen wasn't meeting. And so as she talked, everything was, is she meeting my needs? Is she meeting my needs? Is she meeting my needs? And I wasn't hearing her at all. And as the counselor allowed me to see that, it moved us into a whole different way that we communicate with each other. Now, we never miss any, we get it perfectly all the But we can go back to that and say, you're not hearing me. And see, that can happen really easily when we begin to take shortcuts in our conversations with each other. But James says, listen, just in general, you need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. You need to be, you need to be listening and, and act, asking questions and caring about what that person's saying to you and engaging with them and hearing what they have to say so that then when you speak, you can speak words that are wholesome, Ephesians chapter 4, beneficial for building each other up, that the words that come out of your mouth are words that are, words that are edifying, that, that, that are words that, that the Holy Spirit, that God would speak through you to help that other person. And when you do that, you will find yourself being slow to anger, Right? Because the other thing is, is if I come into a conversation and I have already preconceived what's going on through my self-deception and I miss that conversation, then if it's not headed the way that I think it should go, I'm going to begin to lose my temper and I'm going to get angry. And now there's all sorts of ways that anger expresses itself. Some of it's violently and some of it, you just shut down, right? It's a silent treatment. Oh no, I'm not mad. Whatever. So, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's a powerful statement. Now, the righteousness of God, as we look at that in Scripture, it, it has a couple of different meanings as we come along. And this meaning is a little different than what we most times think of. Most of the time, when I talk about the righteousness of God, we're talking about the fact that in order to stand before God as being pure and, and as being acceptable, we have to have the righteousness of God. And so there's a transaction that takes place, actually, if I could put it that way, when you come to a point in your life, and I pray that every Every one of you who is in here or is listening has done this, that you come to a place in your life where you realize your sin has separated you from God and you turn to God and you ask him to be your savior. At that point in time, that is called justification, a big word. And justification has two sides of a coin. And, and one side is that your sin is credited to Christ and the other side is that his righteousness is credited to you. And so you stand before God in the righteousness of God. And so positionally, the righteousness of God is in your life and it has been credited to you. 
But this is talking about something different. When James talks here, and he talks about the fact that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, if you have the NIV, what it says, it does not, it does not produce the righteous life that God desires. So what we're talking about here is behavior that's pleasing to God. Behavior that's pleasing to God. Anger does not produce behavior that's pleasing to God. Can I get a witness? Anybody experience that from either side? Either someone who's angry at you or someone you've been angry at? I remember when I was a kid, and I've talked about this before, the cars had metal dashboards, and my mom got me a magnet because I had just done something with my mouth that was really stupid and hurt a bunch of people, and she got me a magnet that said, I am the master of my unspoken words and a slave to those which should have remained unsaid. Who? That's powerful. And I memorized it and still had problems with it, right? So as we look at this, we understand that what James is trying to help these believers understand, these scattered tribes, is that this journey to completion requires seeking behavior that's pleasing to God. And that means we need to be ready to listen, really ready to listen, slow to speak so that our words can be the words of God, enhancing and helping others, and so that we will be able to live our lives in a way that is our, has our behavior pleasing to God. And he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now this gets pretty, pretty significant. All filthiness. And this is talking about moral filth. So to take all moral filth out of your life and all the rampant wickedness and to be able to eradicate all of that from your life. And what does that look like? And and then he goes on to say, receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, this gets really exciting. This is where the impossible becomes possible. Because as James is helping us understand this, he's letting us know, listen, the word of God has been implanted in your life. If we go back to verse 18, he says, of his own will, God, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, born again by the word of truth. And so this word that has rescued you has been implanted in you. It's become a very part of who you are. The question is, are you going to receive that? Are you going to receive that implanted word <coughs> or are you going to receive your own words? Now it says with meekness and that word meekness really means humility. So am I humbly ready to receive the word of God? And James is making it very clear in his letter. If you say that you've come to a place where you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you say that you have, you have come to a place where you've exchanged your life of sin for his life of righteousness, and your actions haven't changed, you're, you're deceiving yourself. You've got self-deception going on. There has to be a change in your actions, and you need to receive the word of God as opposed to receiving your words, and that requires stepping out of pride because self-deception has everything to do with pride as well. In my pride, I see everything according to the, the way that I've determined it should be. 
And in my pride, I receive my words as authority. In my humility, I receive the word of God as my authority. He says to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. I was having a conversation with someone this week who said they were talking to their son and they were trying to help their son understand why you would never hit a woman, okay? There had been an incident that had happened and so he was helping his, under, his son understand the importance of not hitting a woman as a man. And, 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 you know, we talked about that a little bit. The next day I happened to be reading an article from a woman who was talking about the first time she watched a movie and saw a place where a man had actually punched a woman and it, and it took her breath away. And you stop to think, and she went on to talk about how many of the movies that we watch today, especially like the superhero movies and those kinds of things, how many of those have like, you know, Wonder Woman and, and she's involved in these things where, where men are hitting her and, and, and we're like, and so at one hand, we're, we're trying to help we're trying to help our men understand, listen, there's, there's a way that women are to be treated. And yet, as entertainment, we implant in ourselves this exact opposite. And we somehow think that's going to generate something positive. And so, James here says, put away that filthiness and, and that, that rampant wickedness. Listen, if there's stuff that's opposed to the way that God's designed for things to be happening, you should not be watching that and calling it entertainment. You're receiving moral filth. You're receiving rampant wickedness as opposed to receiving the word of God. So, we're on this journey to completion. And that rejects self-deception. A journeyer seeks behavior pleasing to God. Secondly, a journeyer seeks enduring change. And we talked about this heroic endurance last week. We talked about how when you face trials, that you need to seek God for steadfastness, for this heroic endurance that only he can give. Well, here he's talking about an enduring change that happens. And here's another one of those verses that you probably know well. Be, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once forgets what he was like. So here we're talking again about this idea of being doers of the word and not hearers only. So again, James is saying, listen, hearing the word is not the goal. Doing what the word says is the goal. Your actions prove your faith. Spurgeon, and I will paraphrase this, basically said the sermon isn't finished when, when I'm done talking. The sermon is finished as it's put into practice as we leave from this place. And so the sermon continues in you as the word continues to move into your life and as you continue to seek the way that it can change your life and change your actions and align you with what God has for you. If all you do is listen to the word, see what it says. You're deceiving yourselves. NIV, you're fooling yourselves. So there's this idea that if, if all you do is listen and you don't do what the word says, then... 
you're falling into self-deception. Now, I grew up in the church, and I can tell you that I heard a lot of the word, and there's a whole lot of stuff I never allowed to have a change in my life. But as you come to a place in your life where you are looking for receiving the word of God in a way that will change your life, you begin to experience the life that God has designed for you to have. I've talked to you before about this, this idea of hearing the word. And, and Scripture, what I love about Scripture is that it was designed to be read. It was designed to be read orally and to be listened to. And so there's this beautiful aspect of hearing the Word of God that becomes so powerful. But, but because of God's grace, as He's preserved the Word of God for us, as He's inspired it through men and, and preserved it for us, not only can we hear it, we can also read it for ourselves. We can study it, we can memorize it, we can meditate on it. And as we begin to do that, each one of those becoming deeper and deeper in the way that the word fills into our lives, we have a greater opportunity for that word to change us. We need to get to the place where instead of just reading scripture, we allow scripture to read us so that Scripture can point to us the places where we've deceived ourselves, where we're fooling ourselves. And then we can take the steps to stop having those change, that, that deception control us. James says this is like, like someone who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. You know? And, and it's like... How many of you have those magnifying mirrors? Let's do this for real. Okay, yeah, it's mostly women. All right. Yeah. I don't want to see this close up. But it's that kind of an idea, right? It's looking and peering deeply into what's there. Getting below the surface even. And in some ways, and in the diving in, I talk about this a little bit, it's, it's this idea of considering the Word of God to be a garden, a beautiful floral garden. And, and it's filled with the fragrance and the beauty of God. And as you step into reading the Word, and I would encourage it every day to step into reading the Word, you step into this amazing garden of God that's filled with the beauty of all different blooms and it's filled with a fragrance that, that as you meander through, it just begins to impact all of your senses and then there's a bench and you sit on the bench and you just imagine what it's like and, and all of the smells and all of the beauty and all of those things and then your day calls and you need to make your way out of that garden of spending time in God's word and as you go, you take a couple of the blossoms with you that impacted you as you were there that day. And maybe you put one in your lapel, maybe you put one in your, in your purse or whatever it may be, and you take that blossom with you. And that blossom for that day allows you to know the presence of God in your life, and it allows you to make the choices that he is calling you to make, and it allows you to do what his word has told you to do. Now, I realize and understand that 
that in some ways, when I used to hear talk like that, as I sat right over there, Paul, where you sit, and I, and I used to hear talk like that, and I'd think, a real man changes tires on the car, a real man does. May I say to you that until I understood what it, mean, what it meant to throw myself into the Word of God and allow the Word of God to read me, I never understood what it was to be a man. I never understood what it was to love my wife and love my kids and, and do what God had called me to do until I put myself into the mirror of God's word and allowed that to pour over me. James says the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, has that heroic endurance. Be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Listen, do you want a blessing from God? Are you looking for God to bless you? Do what he says. I love that. It's simple. If you want to be blessed by God, do what he says. It's, it's, yes, it's that easy. Oh, and yes, it's that hard. But as you look at this, it comes as we look into this perfect law of liberty. And what that is, is it's not the law of Moses that James talking about here. It is the law of Moses, but it encompasses all that comes after that. Like, like we read this morning, as Tom guided us into that, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the person of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so all scripture, you see, as we look into all of scripture and see what God has for us and what he's designed for us, and we get to see what he has and the beauty of what's waiting for us, and we begin to take that with us, and we begin to put it into action, we don't forget about it. If you walk away and it doesn't change your life, you forget about it. If you walk away and start doing it differently, your life changes and you remember the journey to completion requires uh, or rejects self-deception. The first point there, a journeyer seeks behavior pleasing to God. A journeyer seeks enduring change. And finally, a journeyer seeks pure religion. Pure religion. Now this one gets a, a, little, a little tricky because that word religion for us can be a, a little bit of a, of a stumbling block because we say we don't have a religion. We have a relationship and that's true. And it's not true. We do have a relationship, but we also have a religion. We have a belief, and we have this thing that forms us. And even though the word religion is not found all that often in Scripture, only a handful of times, especially in the New Testament, and usually when it's found, it's in a negative connotation, what we see is that there is a religion that we have, and there's a desire by God that our religion would be pure. And that's what these verses say. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world." Now, here's where we get into a really exciting couple of verses. In these two verses, we're going to see three things that James is going to use in the rest of the letter. So the three things that we're going to see in these two verses are three things that James comes back to and clarifies. Because this idea of pure religion 
is so important that James wants his readers to get this right. He wants us to get this right. And so he's going to take these three principles, he's going to unpack these in the rest of his letter. Because you see, otherwise, what you do is worthless. Listen, if, if we gather together and we do all these things, we sing the right songs and the right keys and we have everything right and we do all these things right and, and yet these three things are missing in our lives, if these actions are not showing themselves and revealing themselves in us individually and corporately, then our religion is worthless. Perhaps that's an overstatement. We need to realize, as I said, that James is really influenced, I believe, by Sermon on the Mount, Proverbs, some of the Psalms. And so what we see is he makes these apparent absolute statements to make a proverbial point. He makes these statements that are apparently absolute, but he's using them to make a proverbial point. And that's what's happening here. There is a way in which our religion becomes becomes not as effective as it could be, worthless. And it happens, he says, if we don't bridle our tongue. And what, what is it? If we don't bridle our tongue, we're deceiving our heart. Self-deception. Here it comes again. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right, so we have this deceitful heart within us. And the deceitful heart, James is going to tell us a little letter in, in later, later in his letter, that deceitful heart is what moves the tongue. And that tongue that runs unbridled and causes harm, that negates whatever you say. How many times have have you seen and heard of people who have an amazing testimony for God and all of a sudden they, they do or say something in their life that just totally destroys their testimony because it doesn't line up with what they've, what they've proclaimed. And so many times what happens when that happens is that, that the beauty of who God is gets missed by people. So James is saying, you must bridle your tongue. That's one. The second thing we see is that this care for, for, for orphans and widows, and again, that's an apparent absolute to make a proverbial point. He's talking about we need to care for the helpless. We need to be watching over the helpless. We need to be seeking biblical justice. We need to be, God's heart is a heart for justice. And justice is doing whatever we can to help people thrive within the situation in which they're in. And we've talked about that as it relates to Inspiration Ministries and your, your heart and your desire to see people thrive. And that's a heart for justice. And it's this, this heart to see people thrive as much as possible within the circumstance they're in in this world. And, and so that's God's heart for people. And so James is going to help us see, and this is a, the second point that's going to be unpacked as we go through, even starting next week, is this idea that, that those who are helpless, we need to be defending their cause, and we find that all through the Old Testament. Finally, keep yourself unstained from the world, this undefiled from the world. If our religion is going to be pure... If our religion is going to be undefiled, if our, if our religion is going to have value, if what we say 
we believe is true, and if we expect people to embrace it as true, then the things that need to happen is, is our tongue needs to be controlled, our heart needs to be shown as a heart of compassion that's reaching out to help people thrive and find God, find Jesus, and, and find the, the, the joy that comes from knowing him, but also helping them in their helpless situation, and then not allowing the world to impact us to be sheltered from the world and, and to be part of the world, but to not let the world be part of us. These three things, our tongue, our heart for justice and compassion, and, and our heart and desire to not let the world influence who we are. And each one of those things are important for our religion and our beliefs to be pure and to be seen. And James is going to unpack these, and we'll do this over the next few months as we look at these passages and see these different places where it begins to flesh out in your life. And there's an individual aspect to this, and there's a corporate aspect to this. Because, you see, we need to understand that we are part of a whole and so as we do this, we're doing it, yes, individually, but we're doing it corporately too. So that as the community sees us, they see us as people who are not talking about people. We're not gossiping. We're not, we're not holding bitterness. We're not complaining. We're not angry. We're not, you know, we're using words that are kind, that are uplifting. We've got language of blessing that fills our heart. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, Psalm 19, right? And so that's the word that identifies. So when people are out there, they say, I don't know, what those people at Calvary have. But if that's the way it comes out, I want to be a part of that. Amen? Because our words are words that are, are helpful. And how many of you think helpful words are needed in our culture? And we are people who reach out and help. We are people who are looking for places where we can be touching with compassion and we can be reaching into the community. And we are people who are, who are not impacted by the world. We live differently because we are part of a kingdom that is to come. A kingdom of joy and of peace and of, of, of unbelievable sinlessness. Each week we have a so what. The so what is designed to help you put into action what you've heard. It's designed so that as you leave here, you leave changed with a decision to change. We sang the song right before I came up, ancient words, ever true, changing me, changing you. How will these words change you this week? Are you actively engaged in your journey to completion? In what areas have you allowed yourself to be deceived? And what steps do you need to take this week to put off self-deception? What are those areas in your life where you've been self-deceived. You, you have convinced yourself that something's true. Just like Elijah, this is nothing new. I'm the only one left. There's nobody else. And, and you're, you're in this 
conversation in your head that has you sucked away so far from what God's truth is that it's keeping you from being impactful for the kingdom. Is there an area like that in your life? How can you humbly accept the word of God that is implanted in you to come and speak into that area of your life so that you can see it the way that God sees it? So that just as I, as I sat across from Karen, was able to see what she was saying and realize how my actions had been hurting her because I was feeling hurt by her actions. And uh, enough. Lord God, how amazing you are truly more than we could even imagine, that you, Lord, do not leave us where we are. That as we took the big fall (laughs) and we fell to pieces and there was nothing we could do to put ourselves back together, you stepped into our world and in Jesus began this journey of completion in our lives and you work in us so that we could be complete in you. God, the amazing things that are waiting for us. Forgive us for the times that we, we walk out and, and just don't even change. And today, Lord, I pray that each person in this room and each person who's listening would have one thing change in their lives because of the words that we've looked at today. Ancient words. Ever true. Changing me changing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.